0: In this episode, I'm talking to a dermatologist that has over 100,000 followers on Instagram. And with good reason, she's funny. She tells it like it is. She's a rock star in the world of dermatology and is my go to when it comes to midlife skincare, fillers, Botox, and everything you can think of when it comes to hair and skin. And that dermatologist is the one, the only Dr. Ellen Gendler. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. When it comes to menopause midlife and what comes after, I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. If women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here with Dr. Gendler to give you the inside information. Dr. Gendler is not just a wealth of information and loads of fun. She's also a serious academician. She's a clinical associate professor of dermatology at NYU Langone Medical Center, where she was the co-director of the contact dermatitis division for many years. Dr. Gendler is also a fellow of the American Academy of Dermatology and a former trustee of the Dermatology Foundation. She's the author of numerous, and I mean numerous, scientific publications. In other words, she's not just making this stuff up. So welcome, Dr. Gendler. Nice. Nice to be here. Thanks. (laughs) You know, okay. I'm really jealous of all your followers. I don't know. Tell me what your secret sauce is, but I did get the nicest, the nicest compliment on social media I've ever gotten yesterday when someone saw that I was interviewing you and they said, oh my God, she reminds me of you. I (laughs) I can
1: see that. I can see that. We both have that je ne sais quoi.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. You know, I know from your lecture that I attended a few months ago that the biggest issues of women when they age are laxity, wrinkles, dryness, spotty skin, and either having too much hair or not enough hair. lot to cover. So I'm going to kick it off with this question. Fire away. All right. One of your patients has just been caught shoplifting in the purse section at Bergdorf's. It's the third time. So the judge came down hard and sentenced her to a year in jail and worse banned her from Bergdorf's for life. She is only allowed to bring three skincare products with her. She doesn't need sunscreen because she's going to be in a cell. She's already packed her facial estrogen cream, which we'll get to later. What are you going to advise her that the other two products should be? She's 57 years old and she wants to look real good when she gets out of jail. Ooh, this is a big question for me.
1: Well, first of all, I think she'll probably get some sunlight because if not, she's going to have to be transferred to another jail. And I would say for sure she needs to bring her retin-A with her. She also needs to bring some kind of moisturizer and some kind of sunscreen. Those would be the three basics that I would say she should bring. If she's going to be outside more than
0: just a little, then I would add an antioxidant as well for her. All right. So she is going to one of those really cushy jails and they actually are going to let her go outside. So she does need some some sunscreen. So so let's talk sunscreen. I gave a lecture last year on skin. And of course I started with my disclaimer of I'm not a dermatologist. And I was really just talking about the impact of losing estrogen on skin. The one thing I learned, if no one was ever exposed to the sun, if no one ever stopped making estrogen, then they would all have perfect, beautiful skin, right? If only, if only, if only, only. but you know, but look, let's face it. By the time women get to their fifties, there's, you know, a lot of damage from 50 years of, of being outside and sun tanning and all that. So is it useless to even start applying sunscreen at this point? Because if the okay, damage yes. is done, is, is the damage done? And then let's talk about which sunscreen should be used. Okay. So let me just answer that question as
1: best I can to say, starting with, you don't have to be a, t- a dermatologist to give incredible information on sunscreen because every TikTok star is talking about it, even though they know nothing. So let me start with that. I'm so uh, glad so- you put
0: me on the level with the TikTok star. I <laughs> <So> you
1: <laughs> said, you don't have to be a dermatologist. Yeah, anyway, okay. um, even dermatologists are so far behind the eight ball on this and it, it just baffles me. But let me just say that this is a really important point because we can't believe that estrogen is the only culprit in making our skin age. And there's something called intrinsic aging. If you never left your house, if you were a monk, you never went outdoors, you would still get laxity of the skin. So let's be honest. There's only so much you can do to prevent the natural course of aging. But For many of us, it's not so much the sagging that bothers us. It's the way the whole skin surface looks. And when it's blotchy and brown and white and red and scaly and whatever, that is what contributes more, in my opinion, to the look of aging skin and clearly to the health of skin as we age. Never too late. Never never. never late. Okay, never too late. What if you were a smoker? Would they would your uh, would your pulmonologist tell you, "You know what? You can keep smoking because if you stop now, it's not going to make any difference." It does make a difference, it, and you can clearly reverse some of the sun damage. You can't prevent the
0: damage you did when you were 15 completely, but you can certainly work to ameliorate it. Yeah. And also it continues as you get older. When you, when you gave the lecture that I attended a few months ago, I loved when you showed those photos of the the identical twins that one had been in the sun for her whole life. The other one had worn sunscreen and it was dramatic, dramatic. And as an aside, when we start to talk about estrogen, when they did the clinical trials, They actually applied it to women's butts, to their tush, because they wanted to find skin that didn't have sun exposure to really see the effect. So, okay, what sunscreen? If someone's going to go out and buy a sunscreen, what should they look for? What should they get? Okay, well, let's talk about sunscreen because it's probably the most important
1: thing to hear about. You need to know two things. Number one, the U.S. is really behind Europe and Asia in their approval of the most effective and useful ultraviolet A protecting ingredients. For the person out there who knows nothing about this, let me just be really quick about this. Ultraviolet light is what does the most damage to our skin, Um, There's ultraviolet A, B, and there's visible light. All three contribute to damage to the skin, to skin cancers, but it appears that ultraviolet A is the most significant one because it penetrates the deepest as far as skin cancer and skin aging. Ultraviolet B are the sunburn rays. In the United States, we have excellent sunscreens that protect you against UVB. Every sunscreen you know of, Coppertone, Banana Boat, you name it, they have excellent UVB protecting ingredients and if somebody uses these things they go to the beach and they apply it right you know they don't really burn but they tan and why is that because the ultraviolet A is not being blocked successfully in the US in the chemical sunscreen arena we only have one ingredient that that is used against UVA and that's called avobenzone and avobenzone is not a terribly effective Ingredient because it's unstable. It has to have friends with it to stabilize it. And it also doesn't cover the full UVA spectrum. So all the time I see patients coming in, they're using the Neutrogena. Oh, it's a number 70 broad spectrum. And they're really tan. Europe and Asia have approved UVA ingredients that are so far superior to what we have that it's kind of unreal that we don't have them yet. However, in the U.S., sunscreens are considered drugs and in Europe they are not. So the approval process is much different. It's much more onerous, it's much more expensive. And in the U.S., remember this, we have animal testing for drugs not for cosmetics, but for drugs. So as a drug, sunscreen must be tested on animals. As And as you can imagine, the world is opposed to animal testing. They would much rather, I suppose, have human testing. So there's a lot of pushback for companies to put up the dough, which is significant you know, tens of millions of dollars to get these products approved when maybe they'll never be used in the US. This used to be a big issue, but now you can get these products in Europe and there's ways on the internet and there's there's stores, small stores that will bring them in from Europe. So you can get these products. And on my Instagram, I talk about this a lot and I give a list of all the ingredients for me, I take a trip to Europe to go to some museums
0: and to go to drugstores. And that's I, OK. I just have to interrupt you for one second. It's so funny that you brought that up because Dr. Corrine Mann, who's one of my favorite menopause specialists, and she was also at your lecture and wow. on Instagram yesterday when I asked people to submit their questions, she was the first one to say, please ask Dr. Gendler where I can get. Uh, the sunscreen. So of course I wrote back to her. Oh my God, Corinne, it's obvious. Let's take a trip to Paris together. Exactly. That's, that's true. That that's what exactly or oh, you don't have to go to Paris.
1: You can go anywhere. You can go to Madrid. You can go to London. You can go to any European city and most Asian cities, and you'll be able to get it. But there are websites that sell it. Um, some of them less reliable than others. The place you should not go is Amazon. And I get the, this as a DM. I don't know, I must get. 50 of them a day. And I always refer them to my office. And then I give them a a whole line of all the pharmacies in New York that have it, et cetera. But you can definitely go to Europe. I bring an extra. It sounds so crazy. But when I go to Europe, I bring another suitcase that I ship home. I send home my check. And it's literally full of sunscreen. And once I got stopped at customs and I just fake cried and told them I had, quote, a condition. condition. And I needed to buy this. Well, (laughs) you did have a condition. It's called life. (laughs) Life and exposure to sun. But it's really important. And I recently posted a list of the ingredients that if you do go to Europe, just take a picture of this on your phone and spend an hour in the pharmacy, look at the different uh, sunscreens that they have and try to match up how many they have. My favorite sunscreen in the world right now is one called Anthelios UV-Mune 400. My reason for liking it the most is it has the most uva protecting ingredients of any sunscreen commercially available. Now, La Roche-Posay has, has done this ingenious thing. They've made some American versions that have virtually nothing in them except abobenzone and they make the bottle look just like the European one. It's really tricky. Tricky. I I don't think La Roche-Posay, I don't think they like me very much because I'm always talking about this and they never send me tickets to the US Open like they do to the, you know, uh, 20 year old influencers who talk about their skin creams, but this is important. It's the best sunscreen on the market but it's not in the US.
0: And and I think your point is well taken that you don't just buy the brand, you don't just buy it according to the name of it. You have to look at the ingredients. I tell right. people the same thing when it comes to vaginal lubricants. You know, there's all kinds of junk in this stuff that's toxic to the vagina, that doesn't do what they claim to do because these over the counter things, they can say what they want and they do. And it's they all do about they marketing. Do Yeah, So,
1: So you need to be an educated consumer and understand that you need to have better UVA protection. Let me just say one other thing. There's many people who are opposed to quote chemicals. They don't understand that zinc oxide is also a chemical and they think they should be using mineral sunscreens. Mineral sunscreens mean zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. Let me say that The traditional zinc oxide sunscreen is a lifeguard with that big white thick paste over the nose and mouth. You know, that's like desk and diaper ointment, and nobody is going to use that. So zinc oxide is frequently micronized or made into nanoparticles to make it more elegant and acceptable to use on the skin. And the more you do that, the less effective it is. So when when my patients want to use mineral sunscreens, I tell them that's okay. And in New York City and in Chicago, wherever else it's cold in the winter that's great, but if it's really hot and sunny or you're at the beach, I don't advise using that as your only product. I would do a chemical sunscreen, and if you want to put a mineral on top, that's okay, and you need to play around. Try to get the highest concentration of zinc oxide you can. Titanium dioxide is not a great sunscreen at all, and it's used uh, more for finish when it's put into the mineral sunscreens, frequently seen in
0: primers rather than in full-on sunscreens. I will put the names and all this stuff in the uh notes for the episode because okay. <laughs> you're like me you talk fast everyone thinks i'm from new york <laughs> so fast i can't all help it right. right. so many questions came in about topical estrogen and i know that both you and i are totally on the same page with this in terms of it's not a safety issue there's hundreds of clinical trials that show there's no significant absorption there's no long-term issues and of course my you know historical factoid is that Elizabeth Arden and other cosmetic companies routinely put this stuff in their face creams, which is why they worked so well until the FDA got on board and said, no way. So there's a long history of this, but more important, there's a lot of scientific evidence about the... um effectiveness and about the safety. But what right. I'd like to do is to get into some of the specifics on, on how best to get the most out of estrogen on your skin. So let's start with what's it going to help most that the little wrinkles, the big wrinkles, tightening, okay. discoloration, what's it going to do? Okay, well Helena Rubinstein was
1: the one who was the real, you know, forerunner of estrogen in, in uh, topical creams. I mean, she that- was
0: from Europe, of course. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And as you said, they took it off the market. But there's so much misinformation about this, and even one of your own, you know, a well-known gynecologist has been really railing against using topical estrogens because there was one case report of a woman who was 92 or 93 years old had been using topical estrogen, a type that I had never even heard of for 75 years, two or three times a day over her entire skin surface. And she developed endometrial cancer at age 93. Now, I don't think that you can use that as an example of why you
0: shouldn't be using topical estrogen. I'm sure you would agree. Well, not to mention people just get endometrial cancer they just get it, you know, so, right. So, so you can't, you know, it's not a cause and effect thing. She also Correct. ate broccoli. The broccoli didn't give her her uterine right. cancer. Right.
1: Right. So, but, but you know, there's this, she has a big audience, this person, and, and she, you know, really railed against me when I first posted about this. So what can estrogen do? It's not a panacea and it's not a miracle drug. It's a helpful addition to the armamentarium we have to treat skin that ages. And, there are companies now that have topical estrogens and they advocate using it, you know, on the face. And I'm not exactly sure where else they advocate using it. But clearly you don't want to use large quantities of topical estrogen because then there might be more systemic absorption. We don't know. So I say that if you use the topical estrogen, it should be essentially in the amount that you would use if you were using it vaginally. You shouldn't use five times that amount because really that has not been studied. Okay. So use you, you small amounts and use it in what I consider the strategic areas. So we, why do we use it vaginally? Why? Because you want to thicken the vaginal epithelium, you want to help, prevent, help uh, boost lubrication, so, you're not trying to not make your vulva sag, all right? So you're using it for per for certain purposes. And for me, I think that that's where estrogen is best used in areas where the skin is thinner and tends to show more signs of age. Personally, I don't recommend using it all over the face. Because I don't really know what the long term effects are of using that much, and if you use such a small amount that it's not relevant, then then it's probably safe. But it may not do what you hope that it will do. I got some. I'll, I'll go back for one second, but I got a question on my uh, Instagram message uh, that somebody read a report that it uh, that topical estrogen will cause melasma. And so I went back to look for this report because I have never seen it in my paper. Never either, yeah. It was one report and I looked at it and the woman was using it on her arm and developed pigmentation on her arm. Well- I suspect that this woman, there was no control here. We don't know what she'd use as far as sunscreen. We don't know how much sun exposure she had. And there are many women that get melasma on their arm and have never touched estrogen to their arm, okay? So this was the worst study, and I wouldn't use it as an example. But I'm cautious when I tell women to use it on their face because there could be potentially, I don't know yet, I haven't seen it, but not enough women have really been using it topically in my experience, the places that I recommend using it are under the eyes and on the tops of the hands because you can still use a thin, a small amount and these areas tend to have thin skin that's very visible. And I would say that the under eye is the first area that most women notice as one of the signs of aging. And that's why I recommend to all my women patients, maybe not all, but many of them to start using it under their eyes as their eye cream, because there is no other eye cream that's actually effective. There's none. None. They can, you know, the cosmetic creams can say they do this, they do that, but they really don't. The trials, the the, the little experiments that they do are in a few consumers and they do it over two months. We're talking about the long haul. And that's why I advocate using it under the eyes. And I would say on the tops of your hands as well. Okay.
0: The hand thing is interesting because another historical trivia is that originally the way they discovered that using estrogen on the skin was good for the skin was women that were, we're talking turn of the century when they were starting to just first compound regular estrogen to use for hot flashes. And they had young women who did not wear gloves who were using, who were the ones who were putting the estrogen in the vials. And someone said, wow, their skin is amazing. And that's where they started doing it for the skin. Let me ask you this couple questions. First of all, if someone is using it under the eyes, it's a daily thing, Couple because with estrogen, we do it every day for 14 days, vaginal estrogen, and then we taper to two to three times a week. So same for the eyes or a little bit every day is what you tell people.
1: I say a little bit every day or even twice a day. And I can also tell you that one tube of Premarin, say, lasts me, honestly,
0: five months. And- okay. So, all right. So let's, let's talk about this because women have the choice of either getting a compounded estriol because this stuff is not FDA approved and we can talk about the compounding stuff later or just using their vaginal estrogen cream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I tell people after you put it in your vagina and you put it on your, the opening of the vagina, the vestibule, and then of course, don't forget your urethra and then go North and put it on your clitoris and, you know. Put it everywhere, oh, and then whatever's you on your fingers, put under your eyes. So, in, in terms, of maybe, but no, seriously. And when we think in terms of using an estradiol, which is what vaginal estrogen is, versus estriol, mm-hmm. do, you, do you have a preference of one over the other? You know, when you look at the clinical trials, they were both effective and they were Thanks, both nice. safe. And in Europe, you know, in
1: Europe they use estriol more, right? Don't they use estriol more in Europe? Than they do. Estriol? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think one's more effective than the other, personally. Yeah. We don't have any long-term studies on it and it's actually kind of hard to follow. How do you know whether someone who starts using it at 40 and you look at them at 60, whether she looks any better than she would if she hadn't used it at all? We don't really know, but we have these limited studies as to what topical estrogen does to those limited areas of skin in which it's been studied. And so we can extrapolate to other areas. And I just see in my patients, having done this for 20 odd years using estrogen on my patients who are in the forties, I see what they look like. So much of what we do is from clinical experience when combined with evidence-based information.
0: One of the things that's interesting is that in the vagina world, in my world, when you look at the clinical trials for vaginal estrogen, there's actually a little bit of increased absorption in the first couple of weeks before the tissue thickens up. And people always think, well, less is better because it won't get absorbed. And I always tell them, no, it's the exact opposite. If you use a lot, that's going to make the tissue thicker and you won't absorb as much estrogen. Yet you said- use just a teeny little bit so that too much won't get absorbed. So I can see your point with that, but then there's on the flip side, the approach of no slather it on because then that's going to really thicken up your tissue and then so much won't get absorbed.
1: Well, I I don't know. I'm not sure if you think about it like that because slathering on any cream at least in the skin department, tends to have some problems. You know, we get milia, you get whiteheads. So, and I don't know whether the the skin, it's a different type of epithelium than the the vagina. So- It's not my f- understanding. You, the skin can only get so thick, you know, and right. usually the thickest skin is on your feet or, you, you know, when you get a callus. So I don't think
0: of it like that. Although I, I don't know. Well, the no, answer. you're right. It's not the same. You know, skin right. on your face has keratin as the top right. layer and Correct. vaginal skin does not. And that does completely change absorption. I thought I would just throw that out there. The other, good, thing, one. the other thing I want to ask you is in the vagina, if mm-hmm. you stop using your estrogen... Everything's going to go back. It's going to be just like it was before you used it. Is this your the benefits on the face? Anything long term? Sure, I think it's exactly the same thing. You know, yeah. if you stop using it, bye bye. It's like
1: you know minoxidil for hair. You stop taking it, the hair falls out. If you don't have the stimulus there to have the good effect, why should you still have the good effect? Right. Different from doing things like never smoking, then your lungs are better than they were, but. You know, or if you, if you are smoking and you stop smoking, you're still going to have the, bad, the damage that was there. And if you start smoking again, you'll just
0: exponentially increase it. Exactly. So, which is why when I talk about estrogen in the vagina, I say there's repair and then there's maintenance. Correct, and once you've repaired, you've got to maintain until the day you die. Oh, absolutely. Never absolutely. stop. Right. DNA. A bunch mm-hmm. of questions came in about about DNA. I guess mm-hmm. that's something that you talk about a lot. So, I do.
1: I talk about it a lot, and I'm stunned that more dermatologists don't talk about it. They won the Nobel Prize in 2015 for discovering these enzymes, and I um, and and they were studied largely in young kids who have a horrible disease. It's called xeroderma pigmentosum (XP), midnight children. They cannot go outside during the day because by the time they're 10 years old, they've got 500 skin cancers. It's a horrible, horrible disease that usually ends up in early death, etc. So they studied these enzymes in these kids, and they found A thirty to forty percent diminution in their precancers and and non melanoma skin cancers. Well, that was that said a lot for me. And uh, the person who really uh, developed these is is a scientist named Dr. Dan Yarosh, and I've known him for many many years because he happened to marry my friend from high school. And back in the day when he was starting out, he told me about these, and at first I was skeptical. But then when I started to volunteer at the camp for these kids with XP, I could see the difference and I get these letters from parents of XP patients to whom we've given these things when they come to camp and they're so grateful. And I like to look at all of us as miniature versions of XP patients. The reason that some of us get skin cancers is that we don't have the ability to repair sun damage. Our skin doesn't have that ability. And interestingly, some plants and algae have those enzymes. And if you put them topically on the skin, they literally reverse the damage when the sun hits it. It's kind of crazy. So that's why I started to use them. And I think it's a really helpful addition. The other thing is that these enzymes come in the form of serums and creams and drops and all other things that do double duty. So why not use an active that can serve as something else? It can serve as your moisturizer as well. I don't understand why dermatologists are, are out there talking about all this crap instead of talking about things that actually have a role. I I just don't get it.
0: Is it really in don't. products that can be prescribed or bought or is it something no, that's compounded? They're, they're not
1: they're not drugs. They are they, they are cosmetics. And um they're not compounded. There are a few co- companies that make them. They're very expensive to incorporate into products. So they're, they're expensive. And some people, some companies put one in, some put one, two, some put three. And I like to to use products that have all three. There's one enzyme is plankton extract that is activated by light. So there's no point in using it at night because it's not activated. Those are called photosomes. And then there are others that are not activated by light. One's, you know, from the mustard plant and one's from a little bacteria called micrococcus. So I recommend using one product in the morning that has Plankton and the others at night that don't. So it'll be a little cheaper for you. But these are fairly expensive products. They're not exorbitant, but they're not cheap. They probably range, I don't know, in a, up to $100 for, for a bottle, but that'll last you quite a while. I like to do things that are evidence-based and then throw the other stuff in if you want. You know, if you go outside, you're wearing a sweater and you're wearing a pants and if you want to put a jacket on top, be my guest. But as long as you go out with your body covered, you're fine. So I have non-negotiable things for my skincare routine that I recommend to patients. And then I have the add-ons.
0: It's not something I'd really heard of. It's not in products. We don't hear about it. My dermatologist never told me about it. I'm going to ask her about it next time I see her. And, you know, as far as the expense, and I'm not minimizing that these things can be expensive, but when you look at what people spend on this stuff, and we're not talking about just the cosmetic benefits, we're also talking about skin cancer. And, totally. if, and if that's going to help prevent totally. long-term skin cancer, well, totally. it's a small And, and price you know what? It is,
1: expense, it is expensive. Some of these companies I've seen online, they run sales. And so then wait for a sale and then buy it and then use, at least use it on at important times. If you know you're going out, going to be outside, use it then save it for then if you really can't afford it. But I would say you're better off spending money on this and using a product that's a moisturizer with the DNA repair
0: than on any other crap that you buy at Sephora. Yeah. That would make A lot, make, lot, lot of sense. crap out there. A lot of crap. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions came in on saggy skin. So short of a facelift, what do you recommend that people do to tighten things up? And there's really two areas that people were asking about. One was neck, And the other was under the eyes, the the two baggy areas. Well, baggy, saggy areas. So, under the eyes,
1: what do you do to reverse it? There's really not much to reverse it. That's why you should be using estrogen cream at the time when your estrogen levels start to diminish. And that would be, would you agree, like early 40s? That's when you should. For most women, it's, it's the mid early to mid forties. Yeah. I say 42, that's my age. You should start yeah. doing then. And there's no harm. You're not going to jump your estrogen no. level up, but at least get into the habit and give it, give your skin the chance to stay as firm as it can, because you're not going to know the day that your estrogen level goes down, unless no. you have a hot flash, right? You're not going to know. Right. So just Doing it then. But uh, for necks, there's a lot that goes into a crepey neck, and most of it is gravity. So I don't know, I I don't use estrogen cream on my neck, and I don't know if you use it by the time you're starting on your 40 that it's going to make a difference. It's just a larger area of skin. And that concerns me because all bets are off when you're doing it over large areas of skin until it's been studied. And we know that using it over bigger areas is still safe and not absorbed in any material way, then I don't recommend it. So what else can you do? Well, it's really all about sun damage. Sun damage is the single biggest factor in loss of collagen and elastin, which is what leads to sagging of skin. No one is going to be 60 years old and have a perfect neck. You're just not. But maybe you'll have slightly better results if you start using sunscreen early and protect yourself from the sun. I know it sounds like a broken record, but it's just very true
0: yeah you know when we talk about saggy skin on the face no one ever talks about bone i mean bone is what holds the skin up and when exactly. there's a loss of facial bone the skin has nothing to support it so it sags and when and when i gave my lecture i was like floored at looking at these x-rays of what happens to right. the bone in the face and you know we're so busy in my world talking about the hip and the spine and all of those aspects of osteoporosis But no one ever talks about the face. What are your thoughts? Dermatologists talk about the face all the time. So we see
1: so many bony changes in the face, and that's what leads to sagging of the face in addition to loss of fat pads, et cetera. So we see that the eye sockets, the orbits get bigger, the sinuses get bigger, and they recede, and the jaw, same thing. Now, this is where it's really important for the lower face. And I send so many of my patients for Invisaligns, because if you are over a certain age, and if you even if you wore braces and you you weren't very good about your retainer, you'll see that women over the age of 40, 45, start to get this crossing and crowding of their lower teeth. Mm -hmm. And you know that the expression, you know, oh, she's long in the tooth. What does that mean? Well, people who get older, the distance between your nose and your upper lip gets bigger. And so your upper lip sags. And when you are older and you talk, you don't see your teeth. You see your bottom teeth only. So that's an important thing. And if you are uh, you know, in your 40s and you see that this is happening, I would urge you to get your dentist to help you because that'll help support your lower face and your jaw so that it doesn't retrude and cause more sagging of skin. The skin has to cover bone and fat and dermis, right? Mm-hmm. And as they get older and there's less bone, the bone is smaller. Your skin is like, a has to be shrink wrapped and it has to fit. And so it's like- Which a, is what have, a facelift is. They're shrink wrapping the skin. <laughs> correct. That's exactly what it is. It's, you shrink wrap your skin after a facelift, but your f- skin knows how old it is. And from the moment you, your facelift is sewn up, it's like a a car you drive it out of the lot and it starts to you know lose its value the moment you come out of the OR your skin is trying to go back to where to where it was so to i agree with you completely in the fat pads change the dermis changes the elastin and the collagen so do everything you can to support all of that you cannot help the bones in your face from changing as you get older. It's just a natural fact. You're not gonna totally prevent any of this, but you can make it better and you can make it look better on the outside.
0: One of the things that has never been studied, and I know it's never been studied because I looked and looked and looked, is the impact of women who are taking drugs to help their osteoporosis and their hip and their spine, what happens in their face. And yeah. I think that it would be an important thing to look at because not only is it gonna help people in terms of their their face stuff, but it would be a huge incentive to women who have low bone mass in their hip who don't wanna take a drug, And then you say, well, but this is gonna be instead of your facelift. Yeah. I think they'd be lining up. But right.
1: you're you probably know. right, but I don't know how you'd actually study that because it isn't so much osteoporosis in the facial bones as just an adjustment. I, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not an I'm not an expert in this. Yeah. But it doesn't, maybe they should start when they, when they do, you know, bone age or, or, um, bone dense, The, not the bone, density, bone density, take a look at the face too. They should start doing the face. That, that would be, that actually
0: would be really interesting. It would. Yeah. We have to get someone on board for that study. Let's, let's turn to fillers for a second, because we could talk about that forever, but I just have one little question. You know, it's always about me, right? So of course, everyone can't see me, but I'm about to purse my lips for you. Mm-hmm. I've got grandma's fine little lines above my top list. I don't mm-hmm. like the look. So what, what so what do I do? Well, there's lots of things you can do. I'd say there are three
1: things you can do. There are ways of subtly putting filler into those lines, but understand why those lines develop. They develop because you use your lips, you use your mouth, you talk, you drink from a straw, you eat, you do all those things and you purse the muscles in around your lips. The reason wrinkles develop This is important to understand. The reason a line develops is because you use the muscle over and over again. It's like your mother told you, don't make that face or it's going to stay like that. Well, that's true. So the more you use a muscle, eventually it's going to crease like your pants that you bring to the dry cleaner and they put that crease in them and then you just can't get that out. Over time, the muscles retain their strength to a large degree and they're stronger than the skin. So the muscles overtake the skin and that's when a line develops. So you can put tiny bits of filler in once the line develops. And there's two ways of doing that. One way is to put them, put it right into the actual lines, tiny, tiny amounts, and you need to be skilled to do this. The other way is to put it in through a cannula over the lip margin, go across and create what I call the layer cake approach, where you put a very fine layer of filler in between the skin and the muscle, and and create a slide. Think of how you put, make a layer cake. You know, you make your two cake layers, and then you put that filling in between it, and you can move them back and forth. It's the same thing. And then putting in very small amounts of Botox or another toxin like that into the lip lines to help prevent the contraction. You don't want to overdo it. Or you will not be able to uh, drink. You'll drool. You won't be able to use a straw. And sometimes you'll have problems saying certain letters. You can definitely make it better. And if that those two things don't work, then there's a blade of CO2 lasering, which does have some downtime. And that can also be helpful. But there's no miracle cure, but you can make it a lot better by doing any of those things
0: or all of those things. I was hoping you were going to give me the miracle cure. All right. Well, this combination is as close yeah. to a miracle as you're going to get. <laughs> we need we need Stop to move talking. on to, to hair because um, we could talk about this stuff for hours. And I do want to get to my lightning round of my my 10 quickie questions at the end. So I do want to spend a few minutes talking about hair before we get to that. And, you know, look, I mean, those commercials, they make me crazy. I'm sure they make you crazy between, you know, Lumi and Nutrifoil, One would think every woman has butt crack odor and thinning hair and is desperate for solutions. So I'm not going to ask you to comment on Lumi because the butt crack odor is probably not your thing. But, you know, <laughs> Nutrafol, all those other things, the oral collagens, the biotins. Okay. Do you recommend any of these things? No. But biotin
1: has been around for a long time. I've never seen it do one darn thing for hair or nails. And as you know well, when you take biotin, it can affect other things in your blood, like your thyroid levels and your some levels in your heart. So I don't recommend using biotin. It's old fashioned and ineffective. Nutrafol and Viviscal, I don't know. I, I don't think they do a darn dar thing, but Nutrafol has saw palmetto, which is an anal- it's, It mimics what we use in drugs like finasteride. I, I've never seen it do much. But I don't. Care. It's not harmful, and if people want to throw their money out on it, go for it. Because there's effective things you can use for for, for your uh, hair loss. But sometimes there's contraindications or side effects that you don't really want to have. For instance, the most common thing we do for women who are thinning, we use spironolactone, which. Is a diuretic that's been around for God knows how long extremely safe, but you don't want to take it if you're pregnant and it can cause a little bit of breast tenderness and some menstrual irregularity. So you want to be on birth control when you're using it. But that's been, that's very helpful, especially for younger women who have PCOS, but also for older women. That's usually my first line. There's things like topical minoxidil, which does help at the very least help. Yeah, but come on. It's It's disgusting. Nobody can stick with it. That's right. No one can stick with it. It's disgusting. You know, you have to rub it in, it gets on your face. So it's a very difficult thing to use. There are oral medications like oral minoxidil in low doses, which are very effective, very. However, I believe that we underestimate the percentage of people who get hair on their body and face from it. And they say it's 30 or 32%, but I don't know. It seems like almost everyone that I prescribe it to gets it. So there's a big trade-off. And I'm not talking about little tiny peach fuzz that you get as you get older. I'm talking about full-on hair where yeah. you can get dark hair on your face. And yes, you could do that if your ha- the hair on your head is thick. C- you can wax, you can you know, derma blade and all kinds of other things to take get rid of that hair. But it's annoying. So it's a it's a risk reward. You have to think about what you're willing to give up in terms of you know uh,
0: having a great result on your head, and it does work really well. Well, you know, I, I rarely talk about myself, but I lost a huge amount of hair when I was very sick with COVID early on in the pandemic, I and and it, and it didn't come back. And I tried the topical minoxidil, and there was just it was so icky. There was no way. And then mm-hmm. I got one of those expensive laser caps, and and that didn't seem to do a whole lot either. And then I went on oral minoxidil and it was like a miracle. You know, none of this stuff is fast. I think we always have to make the point, you know, but six months later, oh, right. I had basically almost doubled my hair and and certainly did notice a little bit more facial hair growth. But for me, I thought it was, it was worth it. But so the question I, I have for you is, you know, this is not... FDA-approved. It's an off-label thing. Minoxidil is actually high blood it pressure is FDA, It is FDA-approved. It's just not FDA-approved. Oh, this. did it? For, oh, did it? Oh, that's good news. No, no, when, no, no, no. What was, no, no.
1: Minoxidil is an FDA-approved drug that's been but around. For a different
0: right? indication. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that a drug no, is no, not- it's off-label. It's, it's perfectly right. legal. It's right. perfectly mm-hmm. legitimate. Yeah. But so the, my point is, is that the dose that it comes in is a little bit higher than what you need for- Right, but we break. Right. It, but yeah, I usually give my patients two
1: point five milligram pills. Bear in mind that when it was used years ago for hypertension, we were using doses like forty milligrams. Right. So I have my patients take a two point five milligram pill, and at first they they break it in half, so they use one point two five milligrams. They can do it twice a day, and then I usually increase them, maybe even up to five milligrams over time, but. Y- there are other side effects with it and you need to be aware of what the potential side effects are and your physician should talk to you about that why is it not fda approved for this because there is this there's generic minoxidil what company no, there's is no incentive do- for a company exactly. to do there's that no one's never going to be fda yeah.
0: approved that which doesn't mean it shouldn't be used for it right right all right so if somebody loses a significant amount of hair either because of a Illness, illness, infection, or the most common thing, androgenic alopecia, which is something we see in in postmenopausal women. So if they use oral minoxidil and they get a nice result and mm-hmm. then they stop using it, is it going to fall Bye-bye. out again? Yep. Bye-bye. Now let me Bye-bye. just, let me just qualify your question originally, which was that you lost a
1: lot of hair after COVID, after having COVID and I got, I was super sick with COVID and I lost so much of my hair and my eyelashes, by the way, that's a different situation from female pattern thinning or androgenetic alopecia. What you had and what I had was a telogen effluvium where I literally blocked the plumbing in my apartment with hair that fell out. And when I have a patient with a telogen effluvium, I don't recommend using Minoxidil at that point because what happens is eventually your hair will come back to the extent that it's programmed to come back. Obviously, if you have a telogen effluvium when you're 18, you're gonna get all your hair back. And if you have it when you're 58, you're not gonna get all your hair back because you were not in that same situation. You know, you're older. But if you give someone who has a telogen effluvium minoxidil and they grow all their hair back, they're going to think that they grew their hair back necessarily from minoxidil. And usually a telogen effluvium will, will abate on its own. So for those patients, I tell them to wait. Five six months after the the shed, see where they are, see how they're regrowing, and then I'll add the minoxidil because at least we know that they were regrowing to begin with. That's how I do it.
0: No, that that so, makes sense, and I, and I actually it, did it wait because I tried all this other stuff, so it was a good. In interim, right. It was about a year and a half before I before I started it. Have
1: you, you heard stop, about um? Stop, but if you stop the minoxidil
0: now, you'll all that hair that's supported
1: by the minoxidil is going to come out, and you'll be back to where you were. It's
0: so sad. Um. You know, everything. you mentioned about hair growing in places you, you don't want it, not just from minoxidil, but just as one of the yes. things that happens with age. Have you heard of January? No. <laughs> I just, I just came across that this morning. I swear to God, it's like dry January, but instead of giving up alcohol, you let your pit hair grow. <laughs> and this is supposed to be very trendy. But for those that are not ready to embrace their natural hairiness, what do you recommend to get rid of that? excessive facial hair that people very often get as they age. Maybe the easiest thing you can do, well, there's two things. You can get laser hair removal
1: if the hair is dark, if your hair is light, if it's blonde or gray, you can't do laser hair removal. It doesn't work. Lasers absorb, um, absorb color. They absorb color and then, uh, will destroy that tissue. But I always recommend using a a Dermaflash. You know what that is? You can buy it
0: on Amazon. And, I, okay, I, Dermaflash. All right, just, I will, just, full disclaimer. I happen to know the founder of Dermaflash. She's a Chicagoan. And <laughs> I'll tell that him or her that I'm a big
1: proponent. I will. And and, and she, get her to send me a free one. Well, she gifted me one. And to give me I love one it. I, her, I love it. And it, and it does nice happening. things for your skin too. When you, when you get the hair off, you know, you get a little bit of exfoliation. You have yeah. to be careful though, especially if you're someone who uses retinol. If you do the derma flash, be very careful applying your retinoids right afterwards because you you get more irritation from
0: it. And and she does mention that. She actually does, I think, a pretty good job with with skin hair in terms of her recommendations. Mm -hmm. One of the questions that came in on social media that I forgot to ask you is when we're thinking in terms of hair growth, women who start hormone therapy for other indications, systemic we're talking about, not topical local, is that going to help with hair?
1: Honestly, I haven't seen it help at all. I really haven't. Yeah. If, if you already have female pattern alopecia, having more estrogen, even in, at that age is not going to make you grow hair. And will it make you lose less hair? I don't know the answer. There's a lot of genetic programming here. And I don't really think that's not a reason to take. To no, use it's a not
0: thing. a reason, but it, right. you know, we look at side benefits. And, and also when we talk about local vaginal estrogen, in clinical trials in which women were taking systemic estrogen for their hot flashes, they also found that that benefited. It's not just the local stuff. The real question that no one's ever looked at is if you're already taking a systemic estrogen for your hot flashes in your bone, is adding a local estrogen on your face going to help? I would say yes, because yeah. we know that oh, at least 30% of women who take systemic estrogen still need additional estrogen for their correct. vaginas and their vulvas because exactly. they are such low levels. That's why we call it hormone therapy instead of hormone replacement. These are right. very, That's very low levels. Different things.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. you know, from from your arena that you need, some, many women need extra. So why not? Especially since it's not going to materially add to the to blood levels of estrogen.
0: And that has been tested. Level. We can't emphasize right. that enough. We're not just saying that there have been many, many studies that look at blood levels of estrogen in women using topical topical estrogen. Things fade. Things fade with A's. What what are your thoughts on tattooing eyeliner, tattooing your lips to get a little bit of permanent lipstick? That's but if you want to do it, be
1: do it, but just be careful because the lighter the tattoo color, the harder it is to get rid of and tattoos fade just naturally the pigment fades. But if you don't like it, you're stuck with it for a couple of years. You know, have you seen those women with those microbladed eyebrows? Now what happens if (laughs) thin eyebrows come back, then you're stuck with those, those eyebrows. So, you know, you have to, to me, I wouldn't use it as a fashion statement. I'd rather use a, an eyebrow pencil that mimics a, the microblading and you can wipe it off at night. But there are people who lose their eyebrows. There's a, a hair conditions like frontal fibrosing, alopecia, you completely lose your eyebrows. Then I think it's worth it. I would never tattoo my lips. That's just me. You know, I just would never do something like that. How How big a pain is putting on lipstick?
0: No, it's not that it's a big pain putting it on. It's that for people who care, it comes off pretty easily. It does. We should keep reapplying it. That's exactly. my signature. I have, here's my little bag of my lip
1: balms, and I keep it wherever I am. I just put it on 5,000 times a day.
0: <laughs> I have my little bag too. It's just a few steps away. <laughs> Love those little bags. All right. All right. Clearly, we need to talk about Retin A because. You do. We didn't, and that sounds like yeah, it's one of it those. I thought she was going to bring it to prison with her. I thought you were going to say I did. I didn't. I say ret- I did. did that you, was okay, all right. I did. I said that. So, right, so, so even if you don't go to prison, you should be using your retin A every day. If you don't use retin A, you should go to prison. But
1: yes, the most important thing in any in any skincare routine is a retinoid, and the studies have been done on tretinoin. That's the gold standard. And now, of course, there's other over-the-counters. There's retinol, there's retinol, all kinds of things. Neither of them is as strong as uh, full-on prescription-strength tretinoin. And the problem with tretinoin is that when you first start to use it, you get irritated. That's normal. That's how it is. And I give really careful instructions to my patients. For those of you who use it, this is what I tell them to do. Put the amount of a P on your finger, the amount of a P, and then take that P and dot it in all the areas of your face, your forehead, your nose, your cheeks, and then rub it in. Don't take the P and start rubbing it on your forehead because you'll end up using 10 times the required amount. Also understand that you will have some irritation and some redness and some flaking at the beginning, and that's okay. If you were sitting on your butt and you never exercised and you started to get go to Barry's boot camp, you'd be pretty sore. But in short order, you wouldn't be sore anymore, and the same thing goes for tretinoin. All the studies, all the trials that were done back in the early 2000s or late 1990s, I, I believe, because Renova came out, I think, in 02. Um, has shown that the irritation goes away quickly. And some studies even showed that you got really irritated. The more irritated you got, the faster you got unirritated. So just bear with it and know that that's going to be your experience at the beginning. And once you get into it, it's smooth sailing. And you will have the nicest skin you can. It helps prevent brown spots. It helps prevent helps prevent wrinkles. It doesn't eliminate wrinkles. Once you have them, you're not going to get rid of them. It helps prevent uh, scaly skin. It it helps prevent skin cancer. There's nothing that retinoids uh, don't do for the skin that makes it such an important part of anyone's skincare routine.
0: Does retin-A come
1: in, in more than one dose? It does. It comes in different strengths. It comes in 0. 0.025, 0.5, and then 0. 0.1. And the studies have all been done in 0. 0.05, but there were some that compared 0.025 to 0.5, and they seem to be the same effect. The 0. 0.1 is a, is much more irritating, and I don't really see the the reason to use it. And if you can, I would try using it on your body as well. Obviously, one little tube of tretinoin is not going to go over your entire body. But at the very least, use one of the over-the-counter things. I think retinol is the least effective of all of them. And that's what I call my beginner retinol for young women. They can use that. But but once you've, you know, you're, you're not going to have to stop because you're pregnant, then I would get into prescription retinoids. It, they're easy to get and they're
0: wonderful to use. And do you start at the uh, 0.05 or do you start lower? I, started, I always start at 0.25. Oh, and a question came in on Instagram. Someone wanted to know if they could, she knew she couldn't use it while she was pregnant, but how about with breastfeeding? Well, you know, couldn't use it while
1: pregnant. There are very limited studies and I don't think we've ever, I don't think there's ever been a report of a problem. Obviously the, the real problem is in oral retinoids like Accutane, which absolutely mm-hmm. cause birth defects. So by default, we kind of you know, we just tell people not to use topical retinoids, but um, I see no reason why you can't use topical retinoids while you're breastfeeding. Talk to your pediatrician, but I wouldn't put it on my breast. I wouldn't put it right near, you know, where you're going to have your baby's mouth. But otherwise, I see no reason. There's no there's no significant systemic absorption that will, would affect it. And by the way, vitamin A is an integral part of our bone and tissue development. Without vitamin A, embryos don't develop. So should people be taking supplemental vitamin A? No, not during, pre- no, no. After, not when they're pregnant, right. but just in, in life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you get, a, you get vitamin A from, from normal foods that you eat. It's yeah. rare, you know, yeah. it's yeah, rar- vitamin A deficiency, right? Okay.
0: We're going to finish with a lightning round. I'm going to ask you 10 questions and I would like you to answer these questions if you can, mm-hmm. in one word, yes, no, or maybe. If you feel compelled to answer in more than one or two words, you can, but, yeah, you know, one sentence. Okay, I'm going to try not to. Okay. Ready? Okay. Uh-oh. Is eye cream just face cream in a smaller, more expensive jar? Yes. The one myth regarding skincare that you wish would finally go away. Slugging. What was it? Slugging. What's That's slugging? Like- <laughs> you no, get you more said, words like, on <laughs> this one. I know I'm breaking my own rule, but I can break my own rules. What's slugging? slugging? That,
1: you know, that TikTok uh, thing where you put Vaseline and thick goop all over your face and it's supposed to be very helpful for everything. It's disgusting. For everything but, I like yeah, Does it make you it. smarter? I don't think it's, so. Definitely.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, dumber. Uh, facials, pampering and relaxation aside, spend your money, save your money. Does it actually do anything for your skin? Three words, save your money, unless you have acne and you
1: have a good facialist who can take out, who can actually work on the blackheads and the whiteheads. Otherwise, save your
0: money. Otherwise, save your money. Okay. <laughs> Favorite makeup remover? I don't have one. You don't have one. Okay. How about the, the towelettes don't. from Costco? Oh, ooh. hate <laughs> towelettes.
1: Hate towelettes. Why? Because towelettes just leave some sort of residue that then requires three steps to remove. So I never recommend. I hate those makeup removers. Right. That's what's in words. my travel bag. I will take oh. them out immediately. Yeah. Wait, 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 are you talking about your eye makeup or face makeup? Both. You know, if you use those towelettes, ta- this is a long answer, but answer this to me for me. If you use those towelettes on your eyes, then what do you do? You just that you're done, or don't you still have to rinse them off?
0: I don't rinse them off. I probably no, should.
1: Well, I mean, uh, it's very they're very irritating. And on, okay. the, on the face of somebody who wears heavy makeup, you can use a towelette to get the gunk off, but then you have to actually start the whole cleansing process over.
0: On the same note, mm-hmm. aside from ruining your pillowcase, is it okay to go to bed without washing your makeup off? Uh, I don't know. I'd say no. No. It's Satin disgusting. pillowcases, they feel real nice, but do they mm-hmm. actually prevent wrinkles? No. No. The only thing that prevents wrinkles when you sleep is sleeping on your back, right?
1: Right. If you you lean on your face, you you put pressure and we can always, by the way, see, I can always see which side a woman sleeps on because usually there's more volume loss on that side. And Mm -hmm. also you develop these sleep lines, which are kind of cool, but they develop over time. So I I don't know, satin pillowcases, don't waste your money.
0: CBD face cream, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs yeah, down. Okay. We had two thumbs down. Okay. Yeah. I was always told before I went on TV that I should plunge my face into an ice bath to get rid of puffiness and tighten up the skin. Is <laughs> that the truth or is that just a cruel myth to make me miserable at it's six in the TikTok- morning before going on TV? It's a TikTok myth.
1: I mean, you know, that's we use ice for everything. If anyone can tolerate putting their head in a vat of cold water, they've got bigger problems.
0: Desperate people do desperate things. Desperate what can, things I, what can I say? Uh
1: huh.
0: Okay. I but, know, you know there are I things one thing? yeah.
1: Can I say one thing if you think that any of these things help you then go for it if you think plunging your face in a tub of ice water is good I don't care use it as long as it doesn't kill you you don't get a cardiac arrest but if you think something works for you and it's not harming you then then feel free to to do it but the study you know studies have shown that these yeah. things don't work that's my that's my point if you put cbd on your face no. and you think your face looks good yeah. great.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. just dumb. Well, I always say if, if someone has been told that blue M&Ms are going to make their hot flashes go away, it will make your hot flashes go away for a while because the placebo effect is very strong. It's just right. not sustained. And we have our skin forever. So don't do stupid stuff that's not going to do you any good long-term. Right.
1: Yeah, and you know something? I have patients who are 90 years old with beautiful skin that I have known for 25 years. And they started using Retin-A 25 years ago. And yeah, they're saggy and yeah, they're kind of wrinkled, but their skin is beautiful and clear. And among their 90 year old cohorts, they go out and their friends go, oh, Barbara, you have the most beautiful skin and everybody's sag. So either you just hang around with people of your own age and then you can compare your skin to them. Don't hang around with younger people but try to make your skin as healthy and lovely as it can be, no matter what color
0: it is. All right, last words. Anything I haven't asked you about that you just really want to get out there, other than all of your information, which I'll put in the program notes. I would say my
1: best advice would be to start early enough that you won't need to treat, but you rather will prevent. And that's the best that you can do. There's no quick way to reverse aging. If you start young, you will have less you would be less likely to need to reverse lots of things. And some things just can't be reversed with creams.
0: Right. In a perfect world, everyone would start their skincare at birth. You know, someone asked me the other day, why babies who are sitting in water for nine months don't come out all wrinkly, and I said, because they've got this nice lotion all over their bodies that protects the skin. Why hasn't someone bottled that? (laughs) Have you ever smelled it? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's why I can't eat split pea soup either. It's just I take... (laughs) One look and it reminds me of meconium, but we won't go there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope it was I've helpful. I've learned so much. I, I know everybody else will too. And I really appreciate your spending this early morning with me. My pleasure.
1: We didn't get into this into the devices that are supposed to pre- prevent or treat sagging, which are a whole
0: other kettle of worms. But all the all the ultrasound stuff. I'm gonna send you a derma flash to entice you to come back and, and we will talk about and those. Do, and do another do another episode. Yeah, I would love all right. that. All right, I'll put all this information so that people know where to follow you, where to find you, and everything that we talked about. So It's great to talk to you, Lauren. (laughs) After hearing Dr. Gendler and I talk about using estrogen on the face, I know the number one question that I'm going to get is, where do I get some? Since facial estriol cream is not FDA approved, it needs to be compounded. And since it requires a prescription, your doctor needs to be on board. Good luck with that one. Another approach, though, is to get it from a trusted online source of custom compounded products. But it's important to go to a health care company as opposed to a beauty company or a lifestyle brand. MIDI, M-I-D-I, is the premier telehealth company that provides high-quality, specialized care for women at midlife. Yes, their menopause experts are there to help with health issues like hot flashes, vaginal dryness, and midlife weight gain. But they also take care of skincare and hair care. And they take it seriously. MIDI's not a store. MIDI is not an online pharmacy. You really want to avoid a company that's just trying to sell you products. Midi Custom Rx gives women access to high quality and scientifically backed prescriptions that improve skin, hair, and for sexual wellness, including Estriol Plus face cream. So you meet with a Midi clinician online who will determine if you're a good candidate. And then if you are, she'll write a prescription. And since I'm always transparent, I want to mention that I'm working with Midi. I chose to work with Midi over all the other online menopause options because I realize that most women do not have access to expert menopause care. Midi is science-based, takes insurance, and not trying to sell you anything other than good healthcare. You can find them at joinmidi.com and more information is in the program notes if you're interested. And be on the lookout for a series of Midi webinars that I will be giving that anyone can attend, even if you're not a Midi patient. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. We see the light.